Chapter Hundred and Seven of Vani the Vampire, Volume Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Vali. Vani the Vampire, Volume Two, by Thomas Prescott Press. Chapter Hundred and Seven. The young sailor saved by Jack Pringle turns out to be an important personage. It was not the least gratifying part, by any means, of Jack Pringle's going to the seaside, that in consequence of that occurrence he had been instrumental in saving the life of a fellow creature and when he returned to the cottage of the fisherman bearing in his arms the apparently lifeless remains of a young man who had been clinging to a portion of the wreck the cheer that greeted him from the bystanders was certainly the most grateful music that had ever greeted his ears he had a strong impression on his own mind that the young man whom he had removed from the wreck would recover and that impression he was wonderfully well pleased to find verified by the fact. The care and acidity of the family upon whose hospitality the young stranger was thus, by the fury of the elements thrown, succeeded shortly in restoring him to perfect consciousness. He showed a disposition then to arise, but this Jack Pringle and the old fisherman would not permit for they both knew from experience in such cases how essential rest was so they darkened the room in which he lay and left him to himself well said jack as they sat together what do you think of that young fellow i cannot for my part make out very well what he is although i can say what he is not and that's a seaman no he is no sailor certainly and he is more likely to have been a passenger on board the merchantman than anything else, and if so, it's an odd thing that he should have been the only one saved out of the ship's crew, when there much have been men used to such disasters, and one would think capable of taking care of themselves. It is an odd thing, but there is no accounting for it. We shall hear all about it, though, when he recovers sufficiently to speak to us without doing himself any mischief. Certainly, and that will be after he has had a sleep, for then he will be all right. For, mind you, I don't think he was insensible on account of having been in the water so much, as because he was so thoroughly tired out that he didn't know what he was about. The stranger slept for about four hours, and then he awakened, greatly refreshed by the slumber, and quite able to give some account of himself without fatigue. After expressing his most grateful thanks for the service that had been rendered to him, to which Jack listened with great impatience, because he really did not consider it a service at all, but one of the most natural things in the world for a man to do who saw another in distress 
he said. I was captain's clerk on board a king's ship called Undyne, and we had a smart affair with a nest of pirates on the African coast. We were absolutely attacked by four or five of their vessels at once, and having sunk three and captured the remainder, during which, however, we lost some officers and a number of men, our captain determined upon sending home a dispatch of the transaction, which he entrusted to my care. Hang pirates, said Jack. They ought all to be hung up at the yard arm, without judge or jury. But I suppose they are by this time pretty well settled. I have no doubt of it, for it was the captain's intention to steer to the nearest port and there be evidence against them, and get them in due course executed. He put me on board a merchant vessel with my dispatches, and a more prosperous and pleasant voyage we could not have, until the storm which arose off the coast here, and proved the destruction of our vessel. Ah, said Jack, it's always the case. If anything happens, it's within sight almost of the port you are bound to. So it is, said the old fisherman. All is safe out in the blue waters. But when you least expect it, and things are looking quite pleasant, and people are brushing themselves up to go on shore, then all of a sudden something will occur and you'll find yourselves a wreck. It would seem so, said the young stranger and at all events that was our evil fortune, whatever it may be anyone else's, for we were, indeed, just congratulating ourselves upon being at home, or nearly so, when this terrific storm arose, and I suppose I am the only survivor out a crew of twenty-eight men. The only one, said Jack, I'm sorry to say, all had sunk before the lifeboat had reached you, and what's more, Several brave fellows lost their lives in the first attempt to pick up some of the crew. So it has been a most disastrous matter altogether. But cheer up, said the fisherman. It might have been worse, for I have known cases when a ship has gone down and not left one survivor to say who or what she was, or tell the tale of her destruction. And I too, said Jack. On what part of the coast, said the stranger, am I? For during the night we have drifted so far and been so beaten about by the gale that whether we came twenty miles or a hundred I cannot tell. Why, the town at close here is called Anderbury. Anderbury, exclaimed the young man, is it possible that my faculties have been so confused by the danger I have been in? as not to know this coast. This is the very place to which I should have proceeded post-haste. Directly I concluded my business in London at the Admiralty. Indeed, then you had better stay here at once, and go to the Admiralty afterwards, for I dare say that will answer the purpose just as well at all events. And I suppose you have lost your dispatches. I have indeed, but yet it is my duty to report myself as soon as possible. But now that I am in Anderbury, I cannot resist the opportunity of calling upon a dear friend, 
who resides in this town. Do you happen to know a family of the name of Williams? No, said Jack. I never heard of them, except you mean a Bill Williams, that was once on board the Ocean Frigate as a cook. No, no, I mean a family residing here, one of the members of which is dearer to me than life itself. Well, said Jack, it is good fortune that has cast you here, since that is the case. It is not likely that I should know anything of the people you speak of, because I am a stranger in the place myself, and have come a distance of twenty-five miles just to have a look at the sea, and nothing else, and good fortune brought me here in time, it appears, to save your life, and I only hope you will find your sweetheart true to you. I can have no doubt of that. Well, it's a good thing to be confident, but for my part, I always had very serious doubts, and when I came off a voyage, I frequently found that my sweetheart had picked up with somebody else in the course of about a week after I was gone. But in this case, said the young stranger, I would stake my life upon the fidelity of her whom I wish so much now to see. Well, said Jack, of course you please yourself, but before you make a fool of yourself by calling upon her, just satisfy yourself upon the subject, that's all, and get some friend to make an inquiry for you, or else perhaps you will be served as I was once. How was that? Why, the fact is, when I was younger than I am now, I took a fancy to a nice little creature of the name of Jemima West, whom I fully intended to marry, and so I told her, before I started upon one voyage, that I meant to be my last, for you see, I had a pretty good stock of prize money, and I meant to set up a public school at Liverpool. And did she prove false to you? A little. When I came home, of course I walked off straight to where she lived. Her father and mother were very respectable people, and amused themselves with selling coals and potatoes. So in I walked, as I used to do, into the shop and so on, bang into the parlour, and there sat Jemima, much as usual, neither very clean and neither very dirty. Well, on the other side of the fireplace was a fellow smoking a pipe, and when I caught hold of her and gave her half a dozen regular kisses, he takes his pipe out of his mouth and opens his eyes like an old crocodile. Why, my girl, I said, how are you? Oh, I don't know, she said. I didn't expect to see you any more. No, said the fellow with the pipe and I'm damned if ever I expected to see you at all. Who the devil are you? Who the devil are you, says I, but however that don't much matter, for be you whom you may, if you don't pretty quick take yourself off, I'll kick you out. That's a good joke, says he, to talk of kicking a man out of his own house after coming in and kissing his wife like a steam engine. A very good joke. Wife, says I, do you say you are this fellow's wife? 
yes says she and she pretended to wipe something out of the corner of her eye with her apron yes says she i thought you were drowned long ago and so i thought i might as well be mrs joggles now you may guess messmate what a damned fool i looked after that and how glad i was to back out so you see i advise you to make some inquiries just before you take upon yourself to be so positive about your sweetheart the young man laughed as he said i think i'll chance it and notwithstanding your misadventure i have some reason to believe that i shall not be so unfortunate but at all events i will take your advice and make some previous inquiries it shall not be said that i fell into any misadventure of that nature for want of ordinary caution that's right don't be above taking advice and do you know i shan't be at all surprised that you will find your sweetheart going to be mrs somebody else but come here's dinner will be ready directly yes said the old man it will as soon as my son returns from anderbury where he has gone to buy a bit of fresh meat for you for i thought you would be tired of fish and we had nothing else in the house i regret much giving you so much trouble but i shall have my pay to receive when i reach london and will take care that you are amply recompensed oh don't mention that and by the by here he comes well tom what have you brought a leg of mutton said tom i ain't a judge of nothing else but i thought i might venture upon that at all events i think somebody told me it was very good with shrimp sauce rather an odd mixture that tom and not quite usual i should say well the old fellow was on the grin that told me on account of an old woman that had been to them to ask for some credit for a month or two because her daughter was going to be married to a baron somebody who they say has taken anderbury on the mount and is immensely rich did you hear her name tom oh yes i have seen her before in the town it's old mother williams and it's her daughter helen as is going to be married well i never cried jack i say messmate didn't i tell you the murder is out now that's your sweetheart ain't it the young man turned very pale and for a few moments he did not speak but when he did so he said there must be some mistake i could stake my life upon her constancy then a precious goose you would be said jack to do any such thing for i wouldn't stake my little finger upon any woman why man it's just what you ought to have expected it's the way with them all out of sight out of mind and i'm only surprised at a fellow of your sense not knowing that for you seem to be up to a thing or two it cannot be it cannot be i must go myself to seek helen and at once put a stop to these rumours which i am convinced 
arise from some misconstruction and probably a confusion of names i know that mrs williams is a selfish woman and it is possible that she might not hesitate in sacrificing one of her daughters to gold but that one cannot be helen who has pledged her faith to me well said jack take advantage of any doubt you can but it would be very absurd for you to go interfering in the matter yourself you leave it to me to make the necessary inquiries whilst you remain here snug and unknown and i promise you on the word of a british seaman that i'll bring you exact news all about it i accept your offer gratefully for if she be faithless to me i wish never to encounter her again but to leave her to enjoy what happiness she can with that other for whom she has broken her faith with me good said jack that's the wisest plan for after all you see in these matters who's to blame but the girl herself and you can't very well give her a thrashing you know for as regards the fellow of course she don't say anything to him about you and he can't tell but what she is a regular free trader true true and the best thing therefore i can do to make certain of controlling my temper in the transaction is not to see her unless i can make certain that she is faithful to the vows she has plighted to me but let me beg of you as quickly as possible to end my state of suspense and doubt i believe you said jack i'll go at once to find it all out you shan't be in doubt much longer and of course i hope that things will turn out to your satisfaction although i can't say i expect they will the hope that they will is life itself to me and i shall wait here with an impatience bordering upon positive agony for your report End of chapter 107